Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Hey everybody, it's Jason Shadrick, and I'm back again with uh, Andy Ellis. How you doing, Andy? I am doing well today. Thank you, Jason. And uh, our guest this week is uh, is Lindsay L. As I mentioned in, the, in today's episode, ever since we first had the idea for this podcast, she's been on my list to uh, to have as a guest. And now that she has a new album coming out, August 14th, called Heart Theory, I thought it'd be a good time to to get her on. I agree. And Lindsay is a dedicated guitarist who is deeply tuned into the Strat. She knows how to extract those classic Strat tones, and she's obviously put time into listening to Hendrix. So she has a lot to say about tone, and she has a lot to say about cutting her new record yeah, with and Dan Huff. Exactly, and that's going to be the focus of today's episode, is the story, kind of her her experience with her new guitar coach, as she calls him, Dan Huff, <laughs> and just some cool stories about about Dan. Um, he's kind of developed a reputation as as a real uh, guitar friendly producer, obviously from his his session days and his days with Giant and and all that. And yeah. you even tell a story about one time you uh, interviewed him back yeah. in those days. Yes, and we'll keep the story a secret <laughs> until people listen to the episode. That's right. So <laughs> if you want to hit us up, hit us up at chasingfrets at premierguitar.com. And uh, we'll just dig right into this uh, first episode this week with Lindsay L. All right. Hey, Lindsay. We are so happy to have you here as our featured guest this week on Chasing Frets. How are you doing? Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. I feel so honored. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we're honored. <laughs> oh, yeah, as soon as we as soon as we came up with the idea for this podcast, we knew it was just going to be a matter of time before we uh, yeah. we found an excuse to hang out uh, with one of our favorite uh, country guitar people. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, it is my pleasure. I'm a fan of what you guys are doing, and um, and when I can talk about. Uh, all of my nerdy tendencies. I mean, I, I never... <laughs> What's better than that? I, I, I never turn that down. Yeah, right? <laughs> so uh, about a little over a year ago, you came through Iowa. I came out to the show and we were talking and you were in the early stages of getting uh, everything together for this new record. And you said, I said, well, who's mm-hmm. going to produce it? And you said, Dan Huff. And I said, mm-hmm. you did it. You did it. <laughs> And I just gave you a high five. I was like, that is it. So tell me a little about the beginning stages of getting Dan to produce your record. Mm. So, yeah, Jason, I mean, I I remember when I first moved to Nashville 10 years ago, I put Dan Huff's name on a vision board. And I was like, one day I'm going to work with this man. 
I don't know when. And I'm so grateful that it's taken this long, actually, to to finally work with him because I, I feel like I finally know the record I want to make and how I want to sound and what I want to say. And even as a guitar player, I'm I'm a lot more intentional about everything I play compared to even four years ago. And so, um, so when we finally hired Dan to do this record, it was, it just felt like something that I kind of half manifested in my life. And also it was just the right timing. And, um, the first time Dan and I worked together was on, um, my, first number one actually with Brantley Gilbert it was a song called what happens in a small town and Dan has been Brantley's producer forever and the I I went in to record the solo for that song and my vocals and I was like I am so nervous I was shaking walking into the studio to this was my first guitar session with Dan ever and I'm like here's a man who's played on Michael Jackson and Madonna records and I need to go sit in front of him and play guitar great (laughs) I am so nervous. So I walked into the studio completely freaked out. And by the time I walked out of that studio, I was so enamored by him. And I was just like, what an incredible human being who has the power. I always think that a great producer has the power of uplifting whoever it is sitting in the hot seat, whether you're in a vocal booth, whether you're, you know, um, doing guitars, whether you're playing any instrument. And he just has the kindest way of giving you direction and, and letting you dig deeper within your own creativity and not steering the ship. And so I walked out of that studio being like, this is amazing. I'm going to hire him to do my own record. He's the best ever. And the next day I went back to fix a couple things and he sat me down. He's like, Lindsay, for a jaded guitar player, I was really inspired by your playing yesterday. And I'm like, Dan Huff, that is one of the coolest things that you ever could have said to me. And um, it's just been such an incredible experience working with him. He is truly gifted. And um, as a producer, for sure in the country space, but, you know, obviously he came from, you know, giant Mm -hmm. and his his rock days in the 80s. But um, he has the ability to work with artists from you know, Kane Brown to Lainey Annabellum to Brett Young to myself. And they're just completely different projects. Um, so I was very excited to, you know, bring him this new body of work, this album that I've been writing over the past three years and, mm. and you know, bring it to life with him. But as a guitar player, everybody was always like, why haven't you worked with Dan Hoff yet? And I'm like, the time will come, don't worry. <laughs> And the time came, guys, and it has just been so eye-opening. And my favorite thing about playing guitar with Dan, I call him my guitar coach now, Mm. because it's like, I really feel like he's like a football coach. Like, he watches my game and then picks up on the little things that is like, okay, if you do this differently, it'll, it'll it'll improve your game. It'll give you a faster sprint. If you do this differently, and so... Because he understands it so well, we were able to talk um, differently than I than I do most producers for sure. And he did understand also how to mix, you know, my vocal and guitar above a whole track. So we would record, you know, the whole song, and then my guitar would float above that, and then my vocal would float above that. Um, and 
like recording guitar in the studio, recording solos and overdubs and, and doing studio sessions is always a little bit more of an intimidating thing for me because playing live, things just live in this space that is like so about the moment and the room and, and this, um, you know, this, this place that is only that night. And yet in the studio, you were recording things in concrete forever. And so it's like, you better choose your notes wisely. And I've always, I've always just looked at, you know, sessions like that. And Dan just has such a, a laid back approach. And he would hand me, um, you know, we, we recorded most of the record on his like Tyler Strat from the eighties that, that was the um, one from the Madonna records probably. I mean, I don't, I need to ask him actually. It might be, it probably is actually. Um, but it's just, I loved that Strat so much and it sounded so great. And, um, and so we, we pretty much played most of all of the overdubs on that guitar. We, we used a few different things, but, um, and then we mainly went through like his Bogner and then right into right in. And it was like, you know, a, a few times we like put a little overdrive or something, but everything else was just after the fact. And he would, while I was playing, he would kneel because he has this like Bogner on the floor in his studio and he would kneel by the amp and ride the gain knob as I was playing and he would like guitar tech for me and I'm just like if you were to tell 10 year old Lindsay that this was gonna happen one day she would be freaking out but um but yeah he he's so much about feeling what's right for the song of course you know um as a producer but but also I'm just like, Dan, how do you get guitars to sound so good on records? Like, what is your secret? And he's like, Lindsay, I know how to do a few things really well. And and I just stick to those. And it was just, it was very enlightening. Because, like, here's a man who has played in so many different genres, um, produces so many different artists right now across the board. And he still just, like, sticks to the places that he knows really well. And... Um, even, you know, when, when we were playing solos, like I, I didn't have a lot of, a lot of things written going into the studio. I just sort of sat down and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to play what comes to my brain and heart in the moment. And so a lot of, a lot of, um, all the overdubs are just improvised, um, by me sitting there and, um, and he was just so wonderful to help me navigate the arc of a solo and um and the expression of it because he would just let me kind of lean into my own tendencies because he's like if you don't play guitar on your record and and if this record isn't a a snapshot of who you are as a player then what's the point of making a record especially just because it's such a huge part of who I am and and so he just let me do my thing. And we sometimes would just, he'd be like, okay, that was great. Try another one. Okay. That was great. Maybe try a different ending. Maybe on the four chord, go to this note. And so he would give me like the littlest tips along the way that like open up my brain creatively, you know, like telling a guitar player to hit a certain note in the middle of a solo is like, 
one of the coolest insights that you can ever take because it it changes your focus. You know, you start a solo in a certain place and then if you're wanting to get to, you know, an, a destination, you need to fill the gap from A to B. But then that B changes everything after that. So um, I guess he just changed the pivot points of, yeah. of solos as I was going down and, and that changed everything. What was the biggest guitar breakthrough you made playing wise? And how did Dan kind of steer you that direction? The biggest breakthrough I made playing wise working with Dan is um, less is more. And playing, um, you know, a lot of times when I'm playing, I just play what I feel. And I, I, um, I just try to immerse myself with like my favorite players and, and listen to their playing so much and, and study that that I hope that it like gifts me with an intuition of where to take a song. But, um, but yeah, Dan, a, a lot of times I wanted to play way more complicated things. That is also the difference to me between playing live and playing on a record. Cause I feel like playing live, you can go places and really you can take solos and arguably maybe you should take solos to a certain place where you just wouldn't take on a record because on a record it's about, um, you know, I always view guitar solos as additional lyrics to a song. Like it, it, a guitar solo should, should talk how lyrics do. And my favorite guitar players are so conversational and that's probably why I love their playing so much because it, it sounds like you're having a conversation. And so the biggest breakthrough was probably realizing how simple some you know, overdubs and solos and, and parts ended up being when I would have been like, well, maybe I should just add like a little something here. Maybe I should add this thing on the end. And, and Dan would be like, just play that. Like, that's great. And so, you know, trusting, because the minute Dan said it, I'm like, all right, if Dan said it, then I'm, I'm good. Like if he, if I have Dan's seal of approval, I'm good. And, um, and, and yes, it was, it was definitely less is more. And, um, he plays a lot more around changes than I instinctively do. And so a lot of the, um, you know, tips he would give me while we're going down is like, I mean, obviously like a four to a four minor is like a very abrupt change, but like certain chord changes, he would, he would instinctively be like, we should highlight this compared to just letting it go past. So, um, so that was, that was probably the other biggest breakthrough is like really playing over changes. You want to hear a funny Dan story? I always do. I love that <laughs> man to death. Okay. So, uh, I interviewed Dan, this is, uh, in the early nineties during the giant era. And I was talking to him about, this was a face-to-face -face interview, so it was really cool because we, we could share the vibe, you know. And I was talking to, uh, talking to him about making the transition from being a super successful, ultra-busy session guitarist because first he'd started in Nashville and then gone to L.A. and was just, you know, blowing up as a session player. And now he's got his band, and we're interviewing him about Giant. So what was it like to make that change and and here's what he told me he said 
I was driving with my brother in England. Um, his brother, I think, is David, you know, and uh, was in Giant. They were in Giant together. And he said, the radio was playing. Now, this is in England, so somebody else is driving, no doubt, because it's the other side of the road. And the radio's playing, and a song comes on, and I think this was Madonna. And Dan turns to his brother and says, man, someone's copying my licks. Can you believe it? David turns to him and goes, Dan, that's you. Oh and and Dan was stunned because he didn't he he'd forgotten the session and forgotten the context and you know how it is if you're a session guy you may not hear the final mix until no. it's on and the radio and oftentimes you're yeah you're not really included in any anything other than the tracking session you don't know about the release and yeah. he was doing so many at that time right that I completely believe that that's so funny and and that's when he said. That's when he said, I know it's time for me to have a band. I got to get out of the session thing. Yeah. Because he couldn't, he couldn't recognize his own playing, you know? It's so funny. You know, one of, one of the coolest stories, because we would just talk in the studio sometimes about, about those days. And um, he said when he was on um, the Michael Jackson session, and Michael was there, and he walked in, like, kind of dressed as a homeless dude. And Dan, at the time, he was like, you know, if I would have, because he was still pretty young. Like, I think he mm. was early 20s when all that yeah. stuff was going on. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, if I would have been a little bit older, maybe I would have been more, you know, nervous about going into the room with these, like, really hot guys. But he just was young and, and ready to take on the world. And so he would just go in and he ended up asking Michael why he was dressed like that. And um, Michael said... Because he, then he doesn't get recognized. So he would dress as like a homeless person. Disguise. <clears throat> and then people, people wouldn't stop him. They wouldn't, they wouldn't figure out who he is. And I'm just that, like, wow, that's so fascinating. Yeah. And that story you, you, you said, Andy, that to me shows that when he heard something on the radio and he thought people were copying his licks, he was so in tune to his sound. Like he knew his sound so well that he thought somebody was was copying him, and it's like what well, you were mentioning, Lindsay, where he he coaches you to find what what you do the best and push that in front of everything else, no matter what that is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seems like such an interesting. Now, did he play much? I mean, he didn't play on the record, but did he? Did you hear him play much throughout the sessions? You know, it was more. Um when we were talking about certain parts and um, sometimes in, in order to communicate things, you know, he'd pick up a guitar and be like, okay, what if it was something like this? But he would always let me, let me play all the overdubs. I mean, um, you know, we tracked with session guitar players in the room so that Dan and I could be in the booth. Cause I just feel like when I'm in playing mode, I'm not in listening and producing mode. There's just like different parts of my brain and maybe one day I'll be able to do both at the same time. But, but, um, so we had, you know, session guys tracking with the band as we were recording all of our beds and then I would just do overdubs after the fact. So yeah, I mean, Dan and I, um, would play things back and forth and he'd be like, okay, well let's, let's play it. What about, what if we played it like this? And I was like, okay, well what if we play it like this? And so, 
it it was kind of cool to be able to just have somebody who could speak the same vocabulary and and just have so much um, insight, you know. I only was able to see, I've only seen him play live once, and that was completely unexpected on a random night during NAMM at the Station Inn. And it was, I think, like a little Walter Amp party, and he comes slinking in the back door. And and Vince Gill and Guthrie Trap and a bunch of cats were there. And he comes slinking in the back door, and he gets up on stage, and he plays a Jeff Beck song because we ended his lovers. Mm. And I, I ever, like you could hear n- nobody... Like even breathed while he was playing that, and that was it. And then he played his tune, and then out he and he off and into then, the and then off he, he just went. disappeared. Yeah, Dan, the way Dan approaches notes is so inspiring to me. Like, you can learn something. Like, okay, let me get my guitar here. You can learn something like, like, okay, those two notes, and. Dan could play them 18 different ways. Like he could play them with a finger or with a pick or sliding down or sliding up or bending into it. Like he just had so many approaches to the way you can play a certain phrase. And from studying, you know, his his playing and hours of him playing in the studio and in YouTube videos or whatever, um, I would pick up on that. Like he was just so instinctive to, to what the song needed or, or how to emotively express that phrase the best for the song. Mm -hmm. And so I found I was, um, we would also study a lot of that, um, of just like how to play things. Do I use a pick? Do I use my fingers? Do I hammer on? Do I slide into it? Do I, um, I also, I use a lot of, of like double stops when I'm playing and it's like, like I, I just always do. I don't know why. It's just something that's like I reach for in my tool shed. It's Hendrix. Quickly. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Jason, that's true. Um, and although there are a lot of overdubs with um, some double stops stuff on the record um there's also a lot of times where dan was like just play the single note like it especially in certain solos it can just sound so saturated and although i enjoy playing a lot of double stop stuff a lot of times he was like okay instead of the double stop thing just just play the single note and so again less is more Mm -hmm. and you know something that may feel different to me playing live on a record um comes across so much clearer when it's simpler so to to wrap up here Lindsay, if you're to point listeners to a specific song on the new record that you feel Mm. guitar wise dan pushed you the most which one would it be good question um okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna um give you a two-part answer um so the solo in want me back um, this is so guitar nerd of me, but, um, my, my vibrato is, is so weird. Like I don't play vibrato. Like most players, I, I play vibrato like Clapton. Like I, I will, nobody can see my hand, but my, my hand like floats off the, off the fret and, um, or, or off the neck of the guitar. And Dan always would be like, 
you have really great vibrato. We need to lean into that more. Mm. And so, um, so the solo of Want Me Back, um, I'm very proud of like the first few notes of that solo because it's just like, it's good vibrato. It's just like, mm, you feel something in that. Like you feel the emotion. Um, and then the second song I'll say, um, there's, it's how we end the record, Ready to Love, and we wanted to end it um, on an outro solo and just sort of play guitar off onto the sunset. And, and I was just like, going into the studio to record that. Um, actually, we finished Ready to Love in quarantine. So we finished this album. Um, we sort of had our last band tracking session the day before Nashville shut down. And then I had a bunch of vocals and guitar parts that I still needed to do while everybody was supposed to just be quarantined in their homes. And so, um, you know, I have a Pro Tools rig here at the house in this very room, actually, that I'm sitting in. And, um, so I would I would record vocals here and send them to him. And then for guitars, we'd get on FaceTime. And I'd put Dan right here. And I would just play things and, and then send them back and forth. And and so um, it was it was one uh, uh, issue to get the same tone. Because although you think recording direct for me, like if I went into um, Pro Tools or whatever using Guitar Rig, and so he'd have that direct feed, him reamping it is not the same as mm -hmm. you sitting in the room playing into an amp. It is not the same. And so it took us hours to figure out even the, the technical side of it um, to get this similar sound. But, um, but yeah, that outro solo on Ready to Love, he really pushed me. Um, I, I kind of didn't necessarily know where it should go, and I had all of these ideas, and, um, and yet, you know, sitting down being like, okay, now I need to play two minutes of guitar in front of Dan Huff. Great, cool. <laughs> Um, but, and if that was but, the last song, it, it never, you never felt like comfortable. You never felt like, yeah, I'll just do this today. It's, it, it always hit in your mind that I'm going to go play guitar in front of Dan Huff today. <laughs> I know. And now it is one of my favorite things to do, honestly, just because he's just such a beautiful human being in person and, um, and he, he lifts me up musically. So I love it now. But, um, but there were moments where I'm just like, whew. I don't know. I don't know what to think. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay, for hanging with us. She's going to be back the rest of this week for a couple more episodes. Make sure to check out her new record, Heart Theory, which comes out August 14th. And uh, we'll look forward to talking with you the rest of this week, Lindsay. Cannot wait, guys. Yeah.